is the medical model has one goal. And that goal is that baby in the bassinet crying. How it gets there doesn't matter to them. That baby's journey doesn't matter to them. What happens to the mother's experience doesn't matter to them. And what happens to that mother's future babies doesn't matter to them. This is the, the way the system is set up. If the baby doesn't turn, you're going to be told that a C-section is the only safe way to deliver it. And that is a lie. Breach births, for those of us that do them regularly, are fun. If that baby gets in trouble, I can get that baby out because I know how to do it. And it's beautiful to watch. It's very, very rewarding to do breech birth. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Dr. Stu, thank you so much for coming back on the Down to Birth podcast. Your last episode with us was uh, a very popular episode, and we have a long list of topics we are really excited to talk to you about that we know we'll have to break into various conversations. But for today, uh, we would love to talk with you all about breech babies. So why don't we just start off with you telling everyone um, who you are, what you do, and why you are a really good person for us to speak to about breech vaginal delivery. I'll try to keep it short because I could talk. I, my story is a long one, but I will just say that that I've been practicing obstetrics uh, for finished my residency in 1986. So this is my 36th year. The first 24 years I was in the hospital, the last 11 and a half I've been in the home setting. So I am a home birth obstetrician. Uh, I work with midwives. I believe in the midwifery model of care. This is not how I was trained. I was trained in the medical model of care and that pregnancy is an illness that needs to be treated. And I've slowly but surely morphed over the years into realizing that pregnancy is a normal function of the body. It occasionally goes awry and it's great. we're grateful we have medical care for those people, but most people don't need that. And in the process of my, my transition, I ended up probably pissing off a lot of people in the organized medical community. And they made it very difficult for me to stay in that community because they kept restricting what I was trained to do. And I was lucky because I was trained in an era where uh, breach and forceps and second twin extractions and the things that make my profession unique uh, were being taught routinely. And those things have pretty much disappeared from most residency programs in the Western world. And so the physicians coming out now don't know these things. And so they, they skew their counseling. And I've seen there's a lot of this going on. And I'm trying to right the wrongs by putting information out there so that people can make an informed decision because the midwifery model is all about shared decision-making and giving, giving women the power back to make their own decisions, but you can't make an informed decision. I know it's cliche unless you have the information. And so what I do now is I, I'm still practicing. I'm still doing home deliveries. And I also advocate, I go around the country up until obviously the last year and a half, um, teaching uh, breach seminars. I do that. And then I used to, I used to blog a lot, but ever since I started a podcast back in 2013, 
which is now used to be Dr. Stu's podcast. Now it's Birthing Instincts podcast um, with my friend Bliss. You know, I have a I have a way to vent. I published a few papers. I I've written a book called Fearless Pregnancy. It, the last edition came out in 2010, and it's still available on um, used on Amazon, and uh, you can get it at uh, Lulu.com. Anyway, breach and breach and twin births make up about six percent of births. About three uh, percent of term babies are, are breech, and about one out of one in thirty to one in forty pregnancies are now twins because of IVF and stuff. So it should be about six percent of the average practice. It makes up about forty-five percent of my practice because there are so few choices. And again, there are so few choices because it's not being taught, and it's not being taught not because it's dangerous. That's a misconception. It's being taught because it's misunderstood, or it's just expedient or economically not feasible to teach it anymore. And so they're not doing it. And it's taking away a really viable choice and actually putting women and babies at greater risk because it's not an option out there. And, and when, when physicians don't know how to do these procedures, again, I, I guess it just, I'm just repeating myself. It just puts people at risk. This is what my profession should be doing. And people who don't know how to do this, I still don't really understand how they call themselves obstetricians. And the, te- the people that are leading my profession are leading it toward obsolescence. And I am trying to keep the skill alive. So I'm glad we're talking about breach today. That's, that's my passion. This makes me wonder, why are we spending so much time teaching external cephalic version instead of just teaching how to deliver a breech baby? Yeah, well, first of all, it's, it, the reason it's an option is because there's no other option. Um, if you don't, if the baby doesn't turn, you're going to be offered in about 98% of practices in the country, uh, you're going to be told that a C-section is the only safe way to deliver it. And that is a lie. And that is not true. And not even the organizations that, that represent obstetricians around the world will say that. They all support breach delivery. They all admit that breach delivery is going to be rare because the skills are disappearing, even though they're not doing anything to bring the skills back. And, and none of them obviously support home breach birth. That's just not within their purview. And I understand that. But when they say home breach birth is dangerous, they're also not telling you the truth because there's no data on that. So it's opinion. So when you say ECV, um, they, some people may not know what that means. It's called external cephalic version. It's, it's a procedure that's done uh, at term. Uh, when the baby is discovered to be breech, it's offered to people because really the only other option is cesarean section. And what it is, is where they try to relax your uterus in some way. And then they try to use their hands to turn the baby from the position the baby's sitting in, which is breech. And we'll talk about the different types of breech in a second uh, to bring the head back down toward the uh, cervix. Um, it's successful and probably multiparous women about maybe 50, 60% of the time. And in primates, not very often. There's like a scoring system. I don't use it, but there's a scoring system they use to predict the success rate. This is what doctors do. They like to have algorithms. It's they right. plug you into an algorithm. We have algorithms for breach or VBAC or whatever. We'll plug it in and we'll see if you fit. And then we'll give you risk. You know, we'll give you your, your success rate. And it, that's not how it works. It's in our model, we individualize care. Uh, statistics don't mean anything to the individual. There's no such thing as 50% success rate. It's either zero or hundred percent for that individual woman. I imagine you would probably say that the success rate of actually just having the baby vaginally breach is greater than the success rate of the external cephalic version. Brilliant by far. 
I will just tell you that in my own practice, my success rate to this point in the last 12 years of doing home breech birth for women that are multips, a multip as a woman has already had at least one vaginal birth um, is 100%. Um, it won't always be that way. Sooner or later, I'll have one that isn't successful. Uh, we almost had one recently, but then she got a second wind and, baby, and within an hour, the baby was out. We were almost ready to transport. And with primips, first time moms, it's 80%. So we have a C-section rate in first-time breech moms of 20%, which is better than hospitals have of all moms coming in in labor. You know, there are a few universities and stuff that have breech programs, but what I find amazing about them is they'll only do multips. Now, what's so sad about that to me is it's the primate that needs the breech delivery, because if you section all primate breaches, you may save uh, a certain percentage of babies if you take large numbers, like if you took 10,000 women and you sectioned all of them for breach at 38, 39 weeks, you, you probably save a certain number of babies than if you had 10,000 women who went into labor. But if those 10,000 women decided they wanted a second pregnancy, everything that you gain by, by this, doing a C-section in the first one, you lose in the second pregnancy because now they have a scarred uterus. You, you gain nothing if a woman wants a second baby. And one of the questions that when I do a breach consult, when somebody comes into me for a breach consult, especially the primip, and I ask them this question, I, the, universally an, the universal answer is always the same. I ask them, did your physician ask you if you want more children? And the answer is always no. He or she never asked me that, right? Because, and this is a basic tenet of, of the medical model. They may, they may disagree with it, but I can tell you that this is my, from my experience over 40 years, is the medical model has one goal. And that goal is that baby in the bassinet crying. How it gets there doesn't matter to them. What happens to that baby, that baby's journey doesn't matter to them. What happens to the mother's experience doesn't matter to them. And what happens to that mother's future babies doesn't matter to them because, and I'm not saying this, that they're mean, are they thinking like, well, let's be dastardly. No, no, this is, this is the, the way the system is set up because in the obstetrical world, we don't look at, we don't look at mother baby as a unit. The baby is out. It's now fine. It belongs to the pediatric department. It's not my problem anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Midwifery model, mother and baby are a unit. So we care more about, the journey and how it gets there. And, and is it okay for a baby to be induced? And is it okay for a baby to have a pre-labor cesarean section? And what does that do to its epigenetics or its microbiome? We care about that sort of thing. The medical model does not in general care about it. There may be isolated medical schools and residencies that talk about it and teach it, and that's great, but it's not widespread and it should be widespread. Such a good point. Um, can you talk to us about why People are so afraid of breech birth. Well, what are the big fears? What are the dangers? The reason that people are usually fearful of something is either because they've been indoctrinated to believe it or they've had a bad experience. And it may very well be that, that many people who teach breech, or I mean, not don't, who don't teach, who teach residents, may have had a bad experience with a breech where, where there was a head entrapment on a preemie breech or, or somebody didn't know what to do and they got a bad injury or they ended up with a stillbirth um, from, a, from a, a delivery that happens, which happens in head down babies too, but they don't seem to be fearful of, well, they are actually, 
I mean, the medical model is fearful of, of pregnancy in, in general. That's their, their whole, they're bathed in fear. And then they project it onto the women of, that they care for. But specifically breach, um, it, it's, it's the way you envision things. It's kind of like if your head were stuck in a log, Trish, you'd be panicking. So they've envisioned that the head's coming out last, the baby's going to suffocate or, or, or something like that. Not realizing the baby, like anything else, is getting its oxygen through its cord. It's not getting its oxygen through its lungs at that point anyway. So they, they project it. It's the same sort of thing with um, when a nuchal cord is seen on ultrasound and the doctor says, oh, we, that, that's a problem where we need to do a section because the baby has the cord around the neck. And people think that the baby could choke on the cord. And it's like, wait a minute. What do you have to be doing in order to choke? You have to be breathing. Babies aren't breathing through their trachea in utero. They cannot choke on their cord. You can have a cord accident that happens, but it's not, but they, they anthropomorphize the baby. They give it the same feelings that they would have because they, if they had something tight around their neck, they would worry about it because it's going to choke you. And it's the same thing. If their head were stuck, they're, they're fearful that they would, you know, be, not be able to breathe. So they project that fear and that's sort of, and then it gets propagated and there are some bad outcomes with breach and especially with, uh, you know, undiagnosed or unplanned preemies that the baby, the body can fall through an incompletely dilated cervix and you really have a, a problem. But those are really, really rare. And if you follow the basic tenets of and guidance for how to select properly uh, proper term breaches for breach delivery, you don't see that problem hardly at all. And I'll go through the numbers later in, uh, as we just, as we go along. Sue, so can we talk about the different types of breech babies? Some of the misconceptions around each one. Is that sure? Okay. Yeah. Um, if people want, if people who are listening to the podcast, they, they can always go to um, the internet and they can search uh, images of, of breech, and they'll they'll be able to see what I'm talking about. So uh, uh, the the most common position for babies who are breech is frank breech, and that is where the butt presents and the legs are up. The hips are are flexed and the knees are extended. That's the most common where the feet are up by the face. The second most common is complete breach. The complete breach is where the baby's sort of kneeling. And that's often mistaken as a footling breach because someone will examine a baby who's breech and they'll feel a foot and they'll say, oh, it's footling. No, 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 no. Footling breach is completely different and very, very, very rare at term because a footling breach means the hips and knees are both extended. It means the baby's standing and there just isn't really room for a baby to be standing in a term uterus, just there's not room for that. So they're folded up and they're in that somersault position. Those are the two most common. Sometimes you can have an incomplete breach where one leg is up and one leg is folded down. And rarely you can have things like um, a footling breach, which is rare. You could have a funic presentation, which is where the cord is actually below the butt. That is a problem. So those babies probably should have, well, not probably, those babies should probably have a C-section and generally a C-section either very early in labor or prior to labor. Um, because if the cord is presenting, then when the cervix begins to dilate, the cord can fall out and you can have a cord prolapse, which is something else that scares doctors who don't understand breech birth. If the butt is down, it blocks the cervix just like the head would do. Um, frank breach and complete breach are, are equally desirable. What people don't understand, they think, well, the body comes out, won't the, isn't the head bigger and won't the head possibly get stuck? And the answer is actually no, it won't. When the cervix is completely dilated by the, the butt, if you take a tape measure 
and you take a tape measure after the baby's born and you go around the baby's butt and thighs or fold the legs up and go around the baby's butt, thighs and calves, you will find that that diameter is bigger than the head. Excuse me, that circumference is bigger than the head. Okay, so people don't know that. They think, well, the butt's smaller than the head. Actually, actually it's not. And what people often don't know about breech babies is they have actually what are called cardinal movements. People have heard of cardinal movements of the head down baby where you know, there's you know, descent and internal rotation and, and extension and all that. The breech babies have cardinal movements as well. And, it, and it's so easy to watch a breech baby as they come out, they're telling you whether they're gonna need help or they're not gonna need help, especially if a woman's on all fours which is now sort of the recommended position for breech delivery because it uses gravity to your advantage. But I will tell you that not all women like being on all fours. Not all women can push well on all fours. And I would say that half of my women who start pushing on all fours end up on their side or their back or on a stool. Um, they don't like being on all fours. But all fours is the easiest way to see if the baby's doing its rotations and things that tell you that the arms are in front and not one of the arms or both of the arms behind the head. And these are very easy things to learn. And then the maneuvers are actually quite easy as, as well. If we could get into residencies and, and have a week with their residents, we could, we could make this more common. Because if doctors don't learn this in their training, they're never gonna learn it afterwards. There's too much liability, not enough uh, economic benefit for them to do, to do anything but a C-section, which takes 45 minutes, as opposed to a breech birth where a hospital is gonna have a policy that says, if you have a breach in labor, you have to be here the whole time. So you get paid the same if you're there for 45 minutes or 14 hours. And they're not learning anymore how to do it. They're not learning at all, right? They're very, if a doctor wants to learn breach delivery, a resident, they usually have to go outside of their program to do it. Let's, let's talk about the criteria for breach selection. There are nine criteria that I use for home breach, and I'll go through them real, real, real quickly. One is term, two is frank or complete breach. Three is an estimated fetal weight between five and nine and a half pounds. Would I tell a woman who has a baby who's estimated at 10 pounds that she can't have a vaginal drop? No, because that would be wrong. But we, you know, you gotta have some sort of guideline. Flexed head. So part of the workup for a breach you want to do an ultrasound toward the term, either at the time you're trying a version or just when you diagnose breach. And you want to be sure the baby's able to put its chin down toward its chest. It doesn't have to be that position all the time. You just want to be sure the baby's able to do that. There are some babies born with a congenital problem of their neck called torticollis, where they have their head is always extended, or they could have a congenital goiter, which is a big thyroid and that could push their chin back because Unlike babies that are delivered head first, which deliver their, the, which the head comes out by extension, breech babies' heads delivered by flexion. And they know this. I don't know how they know this, but they know this. And that's, that's their motion of how they do it. So they've got to be able to flex their head. There can be no gross anomalies of the baby. So, we, I mean, we're not talking about some minor defect like six fingers or something like that. We're talking about spina bifida, an abdominal wall defect. We don't, you know, you don't want to be dealing with that sort of thing at the time of a breach of a vaginal breach birth. Then you need to have what, what, what is often called a, um, a clinically adequate maternal pelvis. I hate the term, but essentially to me, a clinically adequate maternal pelvis is a woman's pelvis who hasn't been run over by a pickup truck because any woman's pelvis is a dynamic organ. It's not frozen. It moves, it stretches it. And, and in the all fours position, there's probably 20 to 30% more space 
than when you're laying flat on your back. Here's a basic tenet of breech birth. Breech birth succeeds or doesn't for the same reason that head down babies succeed or don't, period. Mobility, position. Right. Some babies that are head down won't come out. Mm-hmm. Some babies that are breech won't come out. All right. But they're the same. It's the same mechanism, the same reason. So that's six. Seven and eight are, are essentially no brainers for the home birth world. Labor has to start spontaneously because we don't induce really in our, in our world. And eight is a really no brainer. It means mom and baby have to tolerate labor. You can't have baby having deep variable decelerations at five centimeters. When you're hearing them, you can't do that. And number nine is this nebulous thing, which is what I call the right parental mindset is that people have to believe in themselves, trust their practitioner, be amenable to home birth, not be saying, well, how could I do this without an epidural? Not have that, that mentality, that fear mentality really. And that's true for all home births though, actually. Mm -hmm. So those are the nine criteria. And so getting back to your question, Trish, which was. Oh, just about, you know, this, we already discussed the, the fear around head entrapment as far as like suffocation and how that's just a myth, but how about like after the body is born, there is still this risk of the head not delivering as easily. What, how do you recognize that? How do you manage that? If the baby is able to flex its head and you know what you're doing, you're not going to get head entrapment. Head entrapment occurs in the people who don't know what they're doing, who start pulling on the baby. If you've ever seen a newborn baby do a, 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 what's called the moral reflex, do you know what the moral reflex is? Mm-hmm. It's a startle reflex. You kind of pick them up and you set them down and their arms go out and their head goes back. Mm-hmm. Right? Their head extends. And so when you start pulling on a baby and not knowing what you're doing, what is the baby going to do? It's going to put its head back. Mm-hmm. So if you know what you're doing, you're not going to have an entrapped head. It really isn't. And you know that there's no anomalies. There's no hydrocephalus. There's no goiter. Keep your hands off. Yeah. Well, if you can, and and babies will tell you whether you need to have your hands on or not because of the way they rotate. And and, uh, Cynthia asked about the cardinal movement. So we can talk about that in a second, but you, you had a question. This will hopefully tie into that. Can you just help everyone to understand why it's so important in the case of a breech birth that the chin be able to tuck? Just help people to understand if the head is back, it won't fit through the pelvis the same. That's right. It could That's get right. stuck. If the head is back, the, the back of the head can be caught on the um, mom's sacrum. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms to be. I'm Taylor, co founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. 
Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code down to birth. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. Okay. And then it's extremely difficult to get the baby out or what, what happens when that does show up? That sounds well, if you know, if, if you know your maneuvers, you can still get the baby out. And if you, that's why you need well-trained people at breech births. So we're talking about the difference between an easier and a more difficult breech birth, potentially a successful and an unsuccessful one, but that's what we're, we're talking about. Like it, it would take the skill. That's the kind of scenario where you are now suddenly very dependent on the provider's skill to get the baby out. So that's why uh, it's ideal up front to make sure that baby's head will flex. And do they innately know to tuck their chin, even when they're coming out that way? I know when they're head down, they do. They still yeah. innately know that. Oh, that's it's one of the, it's one of the cardinal movement. It's interesting that you say that though. I mean, the, the torchbearers of, of, of the breach skills right now are midwives because OBs don't have it anymore. And there are many, many skilled midwives out there. And then what do, what do state legislatures do? They go and pass laws that say that midwives can't do breach births. Right, like, they restrict them more. Yeah. They're not, it, it, they're not sharing a lobby with the pharmaceutical industry. And one of the skills that you really need to have as a, as a, any practitioner, which is not taught in any residency program, is the skill of doing nothing and keeping your hands off, as you said earlier. Most of the time with a breech birth, if they're on all fours, if they're on their back, you're going to have to use your hands uh, because you don't have gravity. But if they're on all fours and the baby's doing all the right cardinal movements, you don't really have to do anything. Stu, my daughter was breech until very much near the end. And I, I had this like 
three hour from beginning to end first birth with hypnobirthing changed my life, planned a home birth for my second. Um, in part because my first birth was so precipitous, I didn't want to travel. My birth center was an hour away and I was teaching hypnobirthing every week of the pregnancy. Everyone knew I was having a home birth. And then I had this breech baby and my midwife suggested an ECV, which we talked about earlier in the episode. And for some reason, I just refused. My instinct just said, don't do it, which is strange because I'm supportive of clients doing it. But my instinct said, just don't do that and look into a breech birth. And I'll turn the details of this uh, story into a mini episode in the next few weeks because it deserves its own uh, 10 minute time slot, I would say. But basically, um, I had a lot of those quote risk factors. You know, I had um, an anterior placenta. I had a very big baby. My daughter was born at 39 weeks, nine and a half pounds. I had um, strong abdominal muscles from years of yoga. I had one other risk factor that you mentioned, and I'm forgetting what it was. But anyway, what I was saying was we called this woman (laughs) from Utah who was Nancy's mentor. And long story short, the details are very important. And again, I will tell them in a mini episode. She coached my husband over the phone in turning our baby. It was as gentle as can be. I hardly felt anything happening. He was just placing his hands on me gently and just coaxing the baby. And we got this head down baby. Um, But anyway, here's what I wanted to ask you about that. Even though I was a second time mom and I had really... I've been so skilled in hypnobirthing. I was facing um, a fear in my mind. I was planning a breech vaginal birth at home, Dr. Stu, but I, I was fearing a much more intense birth, dare I say painful, the word I never use. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking, what is this going to feel like? Can you just talk to talk yes. to that point? I can talk about it since I've obviously never had a baby. I can't. Really you can't, but you have you. been with all these, in, you know, win-win through all these instances, observed a lot. I would tell you, like everything else in life, it varies. There are some women have said it was the easiest birth they've ever had. And there are some women who say that it was very, very painful, that the the, 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 the bony legs, the bony knees were pushing on something and it was really uncomfortable until they got to a certain point. Um, so there is no rule as to whether breech births are easier or less discomfort or more or greater discomfort. There is, there isn't a rule on that. I want to throw out just a couple of things to get your responses to it. Um, I did have a client who planned a home breech birth some years ago. She flew in a midwife named Sherry Holly from the West coast to attend her birth in Connecticut. I, I know, I know of Sherry Holly. I've been heard about it for a while, but yep. Yeah, so Sherry Holly attended that birth. It was a singleton footling, um, very arduous labor. The client um, t- said to me, I I don't have any regrets, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It was really difficult getting that second leg out. So I think I'm hearing what you're saying about there's just variation in every birth, and we can't name what those variations are going to be. Can you comment? Yeah, I just want to say something. You, you just said it was a singleton footling. Yeah. It probably wasn't. Oh, what probably? It was probably, it was probably a complete breach. If you're squatting over a hole in a, a somersault position, and you suddenly, when you're completely out, you can extend one leg and out it pops, and you think that's a foot length breach. But no, I mean it's 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 a complete breach where the foot comes out first. Yeah, that makes sense. Because remember, foot length breach has to be where where the legs are both the hips and knees are extended in the uterus, not when it's completely dilated and it's coming out of the, out, out of the uh, labia. That's different. Let me ask you about this now. I've had numerous clients with twin babies and I have a really hard time when doctors say we need baby B to be head down as well. And then they say this, this really is too much for me and you have to comment on it and set me straight on it. 
They will say, if you have a vaginal birth with baby A and baby B is breached, you're going to get a vaginal birth followed by a C-section. So let's just plan the C-section. I just need you to please respond to that. Yeah, that's how I feel. We're looking at each other with the same expression. It's hard to say it. It's hard to hear it. But please respond. No, I was just it's pausing for the for the radio or for the effect. podcast audience. Effect. <laughs> you know, I, I'm 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 holding my forehead and I'm shaking my head. Um, this is negligence. This is unethical behavior to be telling people this. If you don't know how, as an obstetrician to deliver a second twin who, who doesn't come down head down, you have no business offering your services to twins. The ethical thing to do in that situation would be to say, I'm not comfortable with, with twins because even if they're vertex vertex, it doesn't mean after the first one comes out that the second one won't turn a different position. They can do that. And I, re I was reading an article recently in the Green Journal about the safety of monochorionic diamniotic twin vaginal delivery versus di-di twin vaginal delivery. And they say it's equal. There's no increased risk with monodi. And in their study, of, oh, it was over like 16 years, they had only 1% of their patients had a vaginal cesarean delivery, where in the national average, it's 14%. So that means 14% of twins who have a vaginal delivery of twin A are getting a C-section through twin B. Those people should never have been in labor with that with that practice. Now I shouldn't say never. Every now and then there's there there's a, a, a reason where even if you try to get the baby out, you can't get the baby out. That's a different story. But I'm talking about prepping a woman ahead of time, saying that if your baby is B isn't in the vertex presentation, head down presentation, then then we'll have to section you for baby B. That's an abomination. And those people should like I said, I never said this before, I think, in any podcast. But it just came to me. Those practitioners should not be doing twin births. Oh, they're happy to do twin surgical births, doctors do. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> it doesn't cross their mind that they shouldn't be doing twin births. There, because... is, no there is no indication for uh, just because you have twins to have a C-section. Right. Even a breech first twin is supported by the American College of OBGYN. Now, I can tell you that most obese would not know that. They're going to tell you that no one's going to do it because they, no one has the skill to do it or the patients, or the financial incentive, or the liability, uh, non-fears or whatever, if that's such a word, to do it, all right? But there's lots of papers, including papers in the Green Journal that talk about delivering breach-first twins. Breach, breach births, for those of us that do them regularly, are fun. Because they either, they either go or they don't go. If the baby gets to the point where it's completely dilated and the butt is beginning to protrude from the labia, if that baby gets in trouble, I can get that baby out because I know how to do it vaginally. And most of the time, like I said, you have to do very little or nothing. And it's beautiful to watch. And the um, advantages to all her future pregnancies are so great. It's very, very rewarding to do breech birth. I love doing breech birth. And if you don't push the envelope, the key about breech birth is to not go crazy. If labor stalls out, if labor uh, stops, if if dilation uh, arrests, if uh, you're hearing um, fetal variables early in labor, don't be a hero. Those are babies that should be sectioned. There's no question about it. Section isn't the devil for breech birth, but it should not be the default position. 
for breach burn. Just do your counseling to tell them that they that a cesarean section is indicated. And this is this is this is what passes for for the the mainstream medical model. And these are the people that sit in judgment of people like me or midwives who are offering people other alternative choices. Um, they're the uh, policymakers. They're the ones that legislatures turn to for advice. The, the silliest, stupidest thing that they could do is, is have obstetricians giving advice on midwifery legislation. But that's what they do because they because in the medical model, they consider midwifery a lesser subset of, of obstetrics as opposed to a separate profession. And it's really interesting when they do legislation regarding obstetrics, they never ask midwives. But the ACOG guidelines added, they added a couple of sentences about the importance of informing the patient about the risks of vaginal breach birth and blah, 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 blah. And I think that that's perfectly fine. But there's something that's missing in that consent form. And that is the sentence that says, informing the patient about the risks of cesarean birth right. for this pregnancy and all future pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Not in there. They do the same with induction. The risks of letting you stay pregnant any longer can reduce this risk of stillbirth. They never study or discuss the risk of inducing all those tens of thousands of women. That's That work is never done. They right. Do. Not only just on the mother and stuff like that, but on the fetus, the epige- epigenetics, the, bio, the microbiome, all that stuff is never discussed. And the last thing I'll say, because we, people talk about risk and, and people will doctors will say, well, breach is high risk. So let's just talk about what the numbers are. And the Royal College of OBGYN has the best statistics on it, and they've rounded them out. And again, because the endpoint in medicine is is a live baby, they look at stillbirth, right? Because the injury rate is about the same whether you delivered vaginally or by cesarean section to babies who are breached. So they looked at the, the, the stillbirth rate by delivering breached babies by cesarean section, is about one in 2000, all right? And the stillbirth rate of having of, of babies delivered breech vaginally, again, I'm not sure that they controlled for planned or unplanned skill of the practitioner, whatever else, but let's just assume these numbers are correct, is one in 500. So that's a fourfold increase over the risk of cesarean section. But with breech delivery, you, you don't have standardized procedures or tactics with C-section, everything is pretty much done the same worldwide. So it's really wrong to compare a breach vaginal delivery versus a breach cesarean delivery. What you should do is compare breach vaginal delivery to head down vaginal delivery. Because nobody's saying you should do a section for all head down babies. Yet. (laughs) Okay. Yet. (laughs) Coming. It's coming. Um, So the risk for a stillbirth of head down babies, they, they, they calculate as to be about one in a thousand. So the risk is actually twice as great for vaginal breech birth of stillbirth than it is for vaginal than it is for vaginal head down baby. Now that may sound like a number, but relative risk means absolutely nothing. Let's look at the risk of it not happening. The risk of it not happening with a C-section is 99.95%. The risk of it not happening with a vaginal head down baby is 99.9%. And the risk of it not happening with a breech baby is 99.8%, mm-hmm. right? If you told a woman she has a 99.8% chance of not having this devastating outcome, would she think that that's high risk? No. And Some and, might, and that's fine, but most won't. Yeah. And they're yeah. not given that information. They're told that it's they're, riskier. They're not given it in that frame. 
you know, it's a, it's a very- No, they're just saying, they just use words like it's, it's riskier or it's high risk. And if you ask a physician who says it's riskier, what the actual risk is, and can you give me a reference? They're going to hate you because they don't know the answer and they don't want to take the time to give you a reference. And also is that that number, that statistic, one in 500, including all kinds of breach. We know that some breach is not so- safe. Right, I don't know where they got their numbers. So I don't know if that Probably included breach. breaches. I don't know if that included, uh, like I said, uh, who was delivering the breach? Was it planned, unplanned? Right. Right. Again, that so matters. it's probably less than that. It's it's certainly less than that in with with skilled breach practitioners in the hospital setting. Right. If that had included footling breach, that might have been 75% of the adverse outcomes that we saw there. And they're not including that. But the bigger point, once again, that we always have to come back to is this should be up against what happens to all those women who have C-sections instead. Now let's look at the risk of that outcome because they're always saying this is the risk of a vaginal breach delivery. And the presumption is there is no risk in the alternative. And there is risk in the alternative. There yeah. is risk in giving all those women C-sections. And that's the number that they never study or reveal or let women consider. They always assume that it will mean a safe outcome otherwise. But it gets, it gets back, Cynthia, to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation is that the way the medical model looks at it is live baby and bassinet. Right. What is going to be yeah. the stillbirth rate and the risk of, of hemorrhaging after a C-section, of infection after a C-section? They don't care. But they can that's, fix that. and that's they my can point. You. They can sew it up. But they can fix it. That's, that's the thing. When we're talking about relative versus absolute risk, we're not even looking at the adverse outcomes when we go with that alternative, which is the C-section instead of the vaginal birth. Women can't even be given that information. This is my risk if I deliver vaginally. This is my risk if I deliver surgically. They're not showing what can happen with that. And they do the same thing with induction and everything else. We, they, the assumption is always that it's safe. Just right. The only number, the only number that doctors will talk to a mother about is the, is the uh, stillbirth rate. That's the only number because, and clearly that matters. And, you know, the minute that they start talking about injury to your baby, the conversation's over because they pull out the, you know, we, we, it's the Trump card. I mean, there's a, but if women even could consider that there's a potential risk of hysterectomy if they get that section. There's a risk of some other kind of adverse outcome. It's There's a risk in all their future pregnancies. Correct. There's a risk of bowel obstruction. There's a risk of bladder injury. There's a risk of chronic pain. There's a risk of wound infection. There's a risk of, um, as we said, uh, placenta accreta, placenta uh, There's a risk know, of implantation problems. Maternal death. Uh, in the future, scarred uteruses, uh, 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 infertility. And, and all come from those sorts of things. And just right. to be clear, this conversation isn't to indicate to women that they should be having vaginal breech births. It's that they should be given full information and listen to their instincts and decide for themselves what makes the most sense for them. It's not that they shouldn't go with the alternative if that's the right decision for them. It's that, unfortunately, they're not even presented with full information, but it's presented to, sure to them that, as though they are. I want to be sure that people understand that all these risks we're talking about, they're all small. And we're not doing, we're not, we don't, in our model, we don't try to do to women what the medical model tries to do. We don't try to scare women out of a hospital birth. We don't try to scare, we want them to ask the questions. We want them to be informed so that they can make a decision. And with breech birth, it is just a variation of normal if you have a skilled practitioner. And what we need to do is get more skilled practitioners involved and people need to learn the skills because as I always say, 
Every now and then uh, a, a woman will show up in labor and delivery with a breech sticking out of the vagina. And if, and if no one knows what to do, that's the tragedy. That's the problem. They're, they're, you know, to not know what to do when that happens is, un is so unnecessary. And you have four years of medical school and four years of residency to teach people this skill, which we can teach people in two days. And they still don't teach it. You know, there aren't, there, there aren't, uh, there aren't differing choices in the world. There's basically one choice. Do what I say or you're a bad parent. Do what I say or we're calling child protective services. Do what I say or your baby will die. If your gut is telling you what you're hearing from your, your practitioner is not sitting well with you, get a second opinion. Get an independent second opinion. Seek out somebody else. I would tell all women who are pregnant, uh, unless they have significant medical issues, that they should seek out midwives first. And at least, at least consult with a midwife during your, if you're going to go with an OB, consult with a midwife, you might find that the prenatal care that you get, or even have collaborative care, but seek out a midwife. And if it turns out your baby is breech, do what you can to find a, a breech practitioner. If you have to travel, if you have to drive a hundred miles to do it. It's it, why wouldn't you do that? It's for your benefit. It's for your baby's benefit. It's for your future baby's benefits. So make the effort because it's the most important thing that happens in your life. The, the memory of your birth of your children will be with you for always. Thank you for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. When I was a brand new midwife, I was only a couple months into practice and I got called to a, a home birth and um, I was the first midwife there because the senior midwife lived an hour away. And I did a vaginal exam on the mom if she wanted one at one point and I, uh, I felt something squishy. And I was like, that's not a head. And I thought, oh my God, I have a cord prolapse. Like right here, right now, I'm brand new midwife, cord prolapse. And then I took a breath and I thought about it for a minute. And I'm like, I don't feel any pulsation. It doesn't really feel like a cord. So, oh my God, what am I feeling? What could this possibly be? And then it just hit me out of nowhere. I was feeling a scrotum. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> the scrotum. <laughs> I was feeling the baby scrotum. And then I'm, then I thought, oh my goodness, I have a breech baby here at home. What do I do? I'm alone. I'm a brand new midwife. Um, fortunately, the senior midwife was on her way. She was only about 20 minutes away. I did end up calling the paramedics just in case, since this was totally unfamiliar to me. Well, I was not taught breech. Do, by the way. <laughs> and the mom refused to go to the hospital. She was, yep. in, you know, she was pushing, she was ready to have this baby. She's like, I am not transferring right now. And baby just came out. Nobody even had to do a thing. You know, she just, it was just this beautiful breech birth. It didn't even pushing. Didn't was she, was she on her back? Was she on a birth stool? She or? was actually squatting, squatting. Um, hands-free. Okay. She was like, you know, her back up against a wall and sort of squatting. She didn't even have a birth stool. And that was, <laughs> that was, I got to see breech birth, which was fabulous. <laughs>